Jesus fucking Christ. You're a very, very sick man. Ass munch. All right, Timbers, live. Dank it. Super dank. I'm Jason. I'm Gary. We're the Timbers. Well, we just got done watching the finish of Real Madrid. Almost said Salt Lake. Yeah. You... Versus the MLS All-Stars. Ah, uh, yeah. It was okay. What'd you think? Uh, I just got to see the last part of it where we actually scored um, <laughs> to tie it up. And who go... scored? Who scored first for the uh, MLS All-Stars? Uh, in in the penalty shots or actual goals? Oh, that's true. Because yes, Dax yes, actually yeah. scored a real goal during the game to tie it up. Yeah. So Dax and Dwyer, yeah, and then Valeri. Yeah, Valeri. Little penalty conversion. He was the first one. The first two guys couldn't convert. Yeah, including Dwyer, the pretty, little douche himself. Pretty sad. Well, so there you go. So we'll cover a little bit on the All Star game. I've got some thoughts on it. Um, obviously, we were outmatched considerably. No. But uh, we got some games to make up. We've got some Summer Lake uh, soccer to talk about, slash Donut Derby. Lots of lots of content coming to you tonight, folks. And uh, Brewfest. The one and only. The one and only. We've got a lot, of, a lot of content. So this one's not going to go 40 minutes, kids. We're going a whole 60, I think. Prepare to be entertained. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we played Vancouver. We won two to one. Yeah, finally. Any? Uh, did you watch the game? Uh, you know, I don't think I got to watch that one directly. I think I had to watch all the highlight stuff on it. The last two games, I've only been able to catch highlight stuff. I haven't been able to actually watch the the full game. Well, quick theme of the game: uh, play the kids. Obviously, the kids uh, wanted to impress dad and went out and won. And they actually did it. Yeah. So, little known fact, Debbie and I were heading up to uh, Seattle, which we'll talk about shortly. But uh, we actually were going to go and try to make the Vancouver-Portland game. But because the week before, they looked like an absolute shit show, we decided to not go. To scrap that whole idea. So we did. I mean, I wasn't even sure that we were going to be able to field enough guys to get up there. Yeah. (laughs) It was getting shorthanded. But uh missed a hell of a game. I ended up watching it in the Anderson School up in Bothell. Um, and I was actually kind of disappointed I didn't go because it was great. Yeah. So uh, 15 to 14 shots, pretty even game. We had the lead on that. Uh, we had 53% possession. Ibo Bise, King Ibo, scored at 14. <laughs> Uh, nice little goal. Nice to see him step in and kind of get that going. And then Andy Jacobson scored at 45 minutes for Vancouver. And then Mr. Consistent for us, a guy that I am growing to love. Guy's almost been on fire lately. Yeah, almost as much as Gaston. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love Gaston Fernandez. Meow. El Gato. El Gato. Blanco scores at 49 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So He's turning it up. Um, so impressive performance, bit of a surprise. Not sure there's anything that we can really take away from this game. Oh, I think there is. Really? Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. So if if you look at the way Ebo, I can never say his name correctly. King Ebo. King Ebo played that game. If they 
train him correctly and with the mindset he's got, he can be another hold up forward like Adi is. Well, except that he's got more footwork, he's got more pace, oh, he's sure. able to move quicker. Sure, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, you take what he's got and multiply it. Yeah, well, we'll see. I just don't. I haven't seen enough of his his work to be able to make that judgment on whether he can be a good post up player. Oh, I think because he, he looks like it. a slasher. I think he can do it. Well, I mean, I I agree he could, but we'll see. Um, the reason I say I don't think there's anything we can pull from that is because. I don't think Carl Robinson of Vancouver knew what the hell they were going to play against. <laughs> so didn't. how the hell do you scout that? You don't. Right. You're going to be watching T2 film the whole time. Right. So, And even then, you've never seen him play with Valeri and some of these other no. guys that were out there. You have no idea what's going to happen. So, yeah, I, mean, I think if you had that lineup for two or three or four weeks, any good scouting squad is actually going to look at that and be able to tactically prepare for that, right? Sure. So we bang Ebo, we clog up the middle and present uh, prevent Zemanski or Olam from doing what they do. Or I mean, but no prep time, so yeah, <laughs> you, no, you you're right. There's so no way to do it, right? And, and regardless, we'll take the win. So did you hear about the tiff between Carl Robinson and Caleb? No. So I went back and watched the whole damn game just to see if I could see the handshake, and they didn't even show it. They were so focused on Ebo, the cameras, that they missed the handshake between the coaches. But in theory, there was a tiff and some sort of words exchange between Caleb and uh, Carl Robinson. Hmm. They have a bromance, you know that? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't see that how that would happen. They'd love to go out to dinner whenever they're in town with each other, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, is the bromance over? It could be. The honeymoon's over. I know. I don't know what the hell's going on. And he wouldn't even address it inside, as you wouldn't expect, right? But, right. But uh, he wouldn't address it in the press conference. Somebody asked him specifically about what happened, and he's like, well, that's just between us. Huh. I don't know. Sounds like the honeymoon's definitely over. Well, we'll see. I think he's just a little sensitive, him being Carl. And Caleb, uh, maybe he threw a tissue at him. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, it could be. All right, then uh, we walked over that. So then we had Houston uh, a few days later. Yeah, I'm not I'm not uh, impressed with the refing on that. <laughs> so hot, hot game, nasty, humid uh, Houston weather, typical Houston fan base with nobody in the stands, even though their team's doing well. Yeah. Um, Number one in the league, and they can't fill a damn stadium. Yeah, I mean, ridiculous. Come on, Houston. So, 2-2 draw, uh, 45% possession by us, 54 by Houston, so they killed us on that. Um, 16 shots apiece, corners were 2-5 to five by Houston. Um, Valeri had a f- cross put in by Valentin at 13 minutes and scores. So, Mr. Valeri. Yeah. And, Little Be- known fact. Beautiful goal. Brought up by some of the guys on the other podcasts. Don't know who to give credit to. I'm kind of on the spot. And, and but Valentine is pronounced Valentine, by the way. Valentine. You're my Valentine. <laughs> I might have to insert that there. Oh. But uh, Val- good old Valentine Pergeri, uh is giving Valeri most of his goals. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Fantastic. They have a link. They have a bromance. It's a great combination. Well, I like, I like what... Valentin has as far as heart. He's got a lot of heart. Will Johnson heart. He doesn't like to give up. And he sounds like he's a kind of a glue guy, too, inside of the locker room, kind of bringing people together. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that's good. Got to have him. But uh, 
All right, what else did we get? Then uh, Monota scores at 37 minutes for Houston. Blanco scores with an assist by Valeria at 43. Cabeza scores his very first freaking MLS goal. Thanks, Timbers. So at 81, there's your tie at 2-2. Miller and Chara, of course, get yellow cards with the shitty officiating. And the crappy callback on a goal that should have stood by Adi. Well, you know, I'm sorry, folks. You gotta I, go. <laughs> I watched that six times. The man was not offside ever. But so if I, when you watch Simon Borg on the uh, replay thing that he does, and I'll sure. play it for you later, um, it wasn't so much that they called it offside, but he obstructed a player. And if you go back and look at it from that, he did obstruct a player in the run of play. Oh my god. If anybody thinks that's obstruction, they need to get the <laughs> F out of the freaking league. Um, How many times have our guys gotten blown up on the field, going for a ball, which would be obstruction, and there's no freaking call? And then they call that little brush that Audie had up against the defender obstruction? F you, league. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, the nice thing is, starting today, what happens? Video assistant referee? Yeah. Yeah. So we can go back and look at that because that was a goal-scoring opportunity. Yes. So there there you go. They need to start making all the refs wear those so those (laughs) cocksuckers are held accountable for what they're doing. All right. Well, so Char gets a super, super soft yellow. Nobody's uh, able to identify actually why he got a yellow. Of course not. Um, if anybody knows why he got a yellow, call us. Well, because that ref Tweet likes us. to to uh, to give Charlie yellow yellows. cards. Yeah, he's a bastard. I believe he leads the league in the number of yellow cards handed out by a ref. Right. Well, that shit show is going to stop real quick with video assistant referee. So exactly. So Arboleda and Ibo Bise come in, known to you as King Ibo, uh, subbed on for Adi and Nagby. Um, to me, it was disappointing on like multi-levels that we couldn't close this one out. This is another example of us not, or our line not, back line not being able to close this out. So Yeah. Uh, it is a bit of a mat- mishmash unit. Um, but that said, we should still be able to close a game out at some point. This back line's been playing together longer than our original back line. Exactly. So at what point does it hold together and actually win a game for us? I don't know, but we've shown time and time again throughout this entire season so far that we cannot hold a lead. We like to give up a lead. Right. Well, so when we are staffed properly, I think we're probably a pretty good team. Um, Despite the weather, despite the refing and all of that, just you pray that the thing clicks together here in the next few weeks and we can kind of write off the way we did in 2015. That would be beautiful. I'd take it. All right. Well, then uh, we move to U.S. uh, versus Jamaica in the Gold Cup final. Now I want to bring up a very valid point here. Oh, boy. How did we end up playing Jamaica? How? Come on, Mexico? What were they doing? What did the boys say that we play at Summerlick with? Antonio and Tony and all those guys, Roberto. They put in the B team. You don't put in your B teams. Now, this whole fiasco of a cup was the battle of the B team supposedly well at the beginning for the US but then the US wise- recalled a bunch of their players and put in their A players we wised up right because we want to win the cup 
And lo and behold, ding. We won the cup. So, uh, 73% possession. We made Jamaica look silly. USA, six corners. Jamaica, three. Shots, 13 to six. Eight on target to three on target. Altador scores at 45 minutes. Watson scores at 50 for Jamaica. Baby Huey and Douchebag score at 80 minutes. 88 minutes. The douche. Yeah. Baby Huey and the douche. Team Seattle. (laughs) That's great. Just jab me with a poker in the eye right now. Red hot. Um, And then Nagby is subbed off for your favorite, Dax McCarty, at uh, like 92 minutes. Yeah, for some reason I just don't like that guy. (laughs) Nagby? No, Dax McCarty. I don't know what it is. I know what it is. What is it? There was a TV show back in the 80s with a guy by the name of Corky. You know, you might be onto something. You there. said that earlier. He did. You know, tonight he definitely <laughs> looked like it. I don't know what whether it was wore out or what. And this is this is kind of a um, it's a soft subject. Oh Jesus! Because I actually have a nephew that has Down syndrome. But There's the precursor. <laughs> Dax actually looks like he's got Down syndrome tonight. I don't know what the deal was. Yeah, I, I think he had got his bangs cut or something. Made his forehead look big. Something. Uh, Still don't like your Dax. We just lost some listeners. <laughs> now. So, I have a question. Yes. So, has Nagby played well enough to earn him a spot on the U.S. men's team for the qualifiers? I don't see why he hasn't. So, does he, has he earned a starting spot? Over all those other jokers? Yes. Absolutely. Over Dax? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> way over Dax. Well, Dax played in the MLS All-Star game tonight. Nagby didn't. Nagby got screwed on that, by the way. Yeah, it's because it was in front of Dax's hometown squad. Oh, sure. So, I mean, the coach got to pick his players, blah, blah, blah. So would you put Nagby ahead of Kellen Acosta? Mm. Yes. I would. I mean, I think so. Definitely. I think Kellen actually plays more of a defensive role, has a little bit more pace than Nagby. Mm-hmm. But I think if you want uh, possession, and I think if you want distribution, Nagby's your guy. You lose the defense on Nagby. He's a liability. Um, A little bit. He's gotten a lot better about playing defense. But, but compared to Acosta, or even Dax, well, sure. both of those guys are more defensive-minded. Well, that's all they've got in their brain is defense. But Well, Acosta doesn't, right? He's got um, pace and he's driving. But sure, but I, I'd put Nagby up against anybody just because of his change of pace. That guy's got 10 gears when he's on the field that he can go through on changing directions, changing pace, getting the ball moving. It's just it's hard to not put him in that spot. Yeah, I agree. So who's the one player that you think deserves a shot that's not getting a shot? At the U.S. men's? Yeah. Wow, never thought about that. Well. Caught me totally off guard. So there's a bunch in there, right? So we actually, actually, Debbie asked the question, who was playing in the MLS All-Star game that, or who's not playing in the MLS All-Star game? That should be. That was on the U.S. men's team that isn't getting a shot, right? So Acosta played tonight on the All-Star game. Yeah. Dax played. Yeah. Altidore played. Um, I don't think Baby Huey or Dempsey were there. So, mm. I, don't, I don't... I mean, that's really... I refuse to answer the question. Yeah, that's a good thought. It may for another pod. We'll have to see. 
Yeah. All right, so All-Star Game tonight. Um, are you a big All-Star Game homer? You like the All-Star Game? I don't think I like that format, personally. You don't like how we play, like, a world-class team that's kind of in their off-season? Yeah, because it's, it, basically it's just prep work for them. It doesn't really – I don't think it showcases what the U.S. has any more than it would playing some other thing, uh, some other game. Not not to mention, I think you talked about this before, doing either like an east-west or a north-south type of thing. Um I say put it east versus west. Yeah, I don't know that we draw any more tickets when we bring in world-class teams just because they're all they're doing is prepping. It's their warm-up for for getting prepped for their their league, you know, season start. And and I don't know that they even look at it as prep work. I think they just look at it as oh, here's another game we got to play. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about people not going to watch some of these other teams or not drawing extra tickets. I mean, there were a fair amount of Real Madrid, like cheering and not cheering for the MLS All Stars at Soldier Field tonight, and then at the Baron game two days two years ago, um, it was the same way. There was a lot of Baron jerseys there, people that went to see Baron because they were the number one team in the world at that. Well, point. Sure, I actually got one of their jerseys. So, so but. Um, but it reminds me of like when Man City or Man United roll through and want to play the Timbers, and then we're like, we don't want to play our A squad, no. right? We want to give them rest, and why not play the T2 squad? But who the hell wants to watch the T2 squad play Man U at that point? So you're there to watch Man U. Because they're going to get just abused. Right, and so there's this whole thing about the Timbers and the Timbers Army Timbers fans and Timbers Army not supporting the all-star voting because we don't want to see our players get hurt um, or have the opportunity to play extra minutes when we could use those later in the season for the team. Yeah, you know, I can see their point, but that's really selfish on a fan and a supporter's piece. A lot of those players bust their butts, and to get picked for the all-star game is actually kind of a highlight for them. I think it's contractual too, right? I think a lot of these guys have something in their contract that if they make the All-Star game, they get a bonus. Yeah, that right? could be. I have no idea on the contract. I'm pretty point, sure that there's pieces of that in there. I mean, if that is the case, why would you not support one of your team members that you're a huge supporter of of getting that additional bonus? Yeah, I I just don't. I mean, I I appreciate the fact that we don't want our players hurt or playing extra minutes. Valeri certainly played 45 plus minutes tonight. Um, and those are 45 minutes um, I was holding my breath on every time he touched the ball. And he had a hard knock in the middle of the field at one point. Yeah. Um, so, but that said, he also showcased pretty well against Real Madrid. Exactly. And so I think the experience was good for him. I think, uh, he, I'm sure in his head he's always wondered how he measures up against uh, Bale or Marcello or some of those guys there. So I... I just wonder, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of the format either, but I feel bad for our players when they don't get the opportunity when clearly they should be playing in the game. No, I agree. 100%. So, East versus West or North versus South? Girls versus boys. You are a perfect segue. So, what if we did a co-ed game? 
I think that'd be badass. Yeah, what if the All-Star game was like NWSL, MLS mixed? you got to have five females on, six males on, or whatever whatever you want to do, but you got to have so many females on versus so many males, and you have this co-ed thing going. That would be sweet. I think that could kick ass. I think it'd be... They should start like a like a co-ed national league. I agree. What if we had like a MLS equivalent league? Would anybody go? I'd volunteer to play. <laughs> well, so I, I'm kind of thinking it would be Timbers level players. Oh, okay. I see how it is. Yeah. <laughs> and like the Tobin Heath world, but I mean, I think I think it would be pretty cool. I think it'd be sweet if you're talking about the world's best soccer, right? Who the world's best soccer countries are? I mean, yeah. it's not just about males or females. I mean, why not measure co-ed teams? Yeah, I, I think agree. Pretty good. I totally agree. So I don't know. Just one of those things I was thinking. So VAR tonight is on its way as of tonight. So video assistant refereeing thoughts. So you like that crap, refs? Now you're going to be held accountable. So that means you like it? I like being able to see what the ref supposedly says he can't see. Yeah, I think so too. Um, they had some uh, cameras on the ref tonight. I think Chapman was the ref tonight in the All-Star game. And they actually had his point of view cam from what he was seeing. And he clearly missed a handball, a penalty, and some other stuff like that. Stuff that you clearly see yeah. on the video. Right. So, And I think that's actually very, very good for learning sessions when you go back and watch the game. If, and I'm hoping Pro actually does that with them. And here's the camera footage, that, and here's the game, and here's the calls that you missed. I don't and know what you were looking at. And this is how that affected the game. Right. right. So I'm excited about VAR. I don't want the disruption, but it sounds like there's enough other stuff built in with the fourth ref or the VAR ref being able to just talk to the ref yeah. and the ref being able to take his word that I think there could be minimal impact, especially as we move into uh, where relationships are formed or trust is formed. Well, they can do a smooth integration. I don't, I don't think it's going to be an issue right. unless the refs make it an issue. Yep. All right, next game. You're going, I'm going, Deb's going. Yeah, and for all you folks out there, remember, public service announcement, that game has been moved to 11 a.m. Yeah, that's an early one, man. Yeah, they moved it up because of heat considerations. That means we're in at 9. Oh, my God. That means, I bet they hand out wristbands the day before. What do you think? Oh. There's no way they're going to hand them out at 7 a.m. Maybe. They may. No. You just never know. Yeah, we should check that. So that'll be interesting. So we're playing L.A. on August 6th, 11.30 kickoff time. Tickets are expensive as hell. Mr. Nichols is considering bringing his kid and texted me this morning, said, hey, do you happen to know where I can get an extra ticket to bring Camden? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, go to SeatGeek, dude. Really? He's like, there's 60 bucks, which brings me to this Tier 1. It's a Tier 1 game. Yeah. L.A.'s like bottom of the league. Who the hell's on L.A.? Tim, do you do you realize what preseason or I mean wait line ticket holders pay for those tickets? So they're uh, high. What are your thoughts on this game? Any any pre thoughts? Have you given it any thought? I haven't really given any thought. Salt, um, Salt Lake beat them six zero or six one or some ungodly thing a few yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, but I just it's hard with us because you just never know what you're going to get with the lineup. Well, I think we're all going to be intact, right? And I think there's actually probably a pretty good case that Ridgewell, now that his post-All-Star game, could be back. No. 
Um, and then the other thing that the that is a major factor is Van Damme, even though he played in the All-Star game tonight and fouled like crazy, he has a red card, so he doesn't play in this upcoming game. Oh, that's too bad, Van Damme. So oh, that's too bad. That means Audi has the potential to have a huge game. Huge game. He's not going to get banged in the back. Oh, you said banged in the back. <laughs> so so I, th- I think this could be a big game for Audi. It, and, it could um, be. And I think the whole squad's um, back. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, we've had games where the whole squad's been back, and we still looked really bad. Well, we'll have to so, see. So I'm, I'm rooting for you guys. I think the heat's going to be a factor. Yeah, I I really think the heat's going to be a factor. Well, especially at eleven thirty in the afternoon, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, when they're moving the game because they're worried about heat, and we're looking at the heat wave that we've got all the way through the rest of the week, it's just not really going to cool down much. No, nah, the good thing is that it's been going on long enough by that point that I think there's some sort of acclimatization that goes on too. So. Keep my fingers crossed right. for them. So, all right. Well, we'll be at the game. We'll do it. Same section two oh seven. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada boom. So hit Seattle, as I alluded to. Uh, Dev yeah. and I completed our passporting for McMinimins. Woo! I recorded some fantastic interviews. And uh, deleted. And then, yeah, I deleted them, so we can't share those with the kids. Damn it, Jason. Um, but I don't know if you know about the passport. So do you know about the passport? I do, but do the fandom the know fandom. about The fandom. So McMenamins has his passport. If you visit all of the properties and do all the little things within it. From who? You get stamps. And so for 25 bucks, it's now 30 bucks, and I think it's going up to 35 Who's the passport for? It is for McMenamins. There we go. So uh, you visit the McMenamins properties and do experiences. You get all these stamps. And for like every four experiences, you get like a $20 gift card. Or for like every four or five properties, just depending on what's on the page, you get a burger or tater tots or clam chowder or whatever is offered on that grouping. So how many stamps total does it take to complete this whole passport? Dude, a lot. There's like 70. It's ridiculous. I didn't know there were that many McMenamins. It's crazy. And Debbie wants to do it again. So, but the cool thing. She (laughs) wants to go around two? It's not that uncommon. We talked to a lot of people. Wowzers. I got sick of tater tots after like five McMenamins. It's not like their menu's diverse enough to like spread it out to where you cover everything. Because you probably cover everything within six, seven trips, right? Yeah, there's a... There's a lot of McMahon's, man. So, <laughs> I mean, it's and there's a lot of McMenamins on the periphery. It's not just my little neighborhood Greenway McMenamins that I've been going to forever. So, so what happens if they add new McMenamins? You gotta go. That's why you gotta hurry up and get it done. Oh my god! <laughs> so, and that's why we're waiting on Andrew and Tiffany to finish up theirs before we get the completion stamp. Yeah. So we've been to every venue. It's done. But we, you have to take it to a hotel, one of the hotels, to the front desk and get a completion stamp. So they audit your book and then give this big, huge final stamp. And then that entitles you to All go to this cosmic tripster party. So you can't bring a guest, only one passport per person. Like, you complete it, you go to the party. Gotcha. And it's a band and drinks and food and all this stuff. Do they do that every year or is that just a one-time thing? I think it's a couple times a year. So we're waiting so that Andrew and Tiffany can finish up, and then we can go with our friends. Don't wait too long. But 
their last ones in Bend. <laughs> so don't wait too long. Our last ones were up in Washington, and we purposely saved the mission because we thought you had to finish at a pub or something, and so we saved the mission as kind of our last one. We were wrong. You just need to complete it and then end up at a hotel. So we hit the Olympic Club, the Spar up in Olympia, Mill Creek, Anderson School, Six Arms, and Queen Anne. And Queen Anne sucks ass because it's like right underneath the Space Needle and parking's really shitty. <laughs> and it's even shittier during the N- women's NBA All-Star of Game. Of course it is. It took me like an hour to go two blocks. And it was and during lunchtime and I was pissed and hungry. Mm. Yeah, so Hang, he was hangry. Folks. Highly recommended that if you're going to hit the ones in Seattle, hangry. that Queen Anne's the first one you hit, and then go to the other places where there's actually parking you can drive. Mm. Good advice. Yeah. So, um, so now what if you get your completion stamp and then they add a new place after that? Yeah, you're good as long as you got the completion stamp. You're good for but life. We're like in limp. No. Oh. So what's the time limit? As long as you want. No, 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 no. From the time you complete, what's your time limit on your completed stamp is good until how long? Uh, I think a year or two. But So oh. the deal is once you get your completion, you get happy hour pricing on drinks and I think some food for a period of time. Like all the time? Yeah. Like we walk in, we get happy hour pricing. You just got to show your passport. They give you a special keychain. Ooh. And that only tripsters get it. And I think you have to have your passport so you can show that you're within that time period. You also get three free hotel stays. Did you hear that, folks? He said tripsters. Tripsters. So three free hotel stays. And then you also get concert tickets and all this other stuff. So kind of a good deal. And you actually, after the first couple of experiences that you've done, you've made your money back on the thing. But you really, really get tired of tater tots. Sounds like a lot of gas. It's a lot of tater tots. <laughs> and uh, so, but we went to the Olympic Club, which is there in Centralia. Then we went to something called the Spar in Olympia. And so then we were in rush hour traffic on a Friday. And I'm like, you know what, let's hang out in Olympia for a while because I don't want to sit in shittle traffic trying to get up to the Anderson School. Yeah. And so we uh, went to Fishtail Brewing slash Leavenworth Brewing right there in downtown Olympia place i've been a couple times when i worked for state farm yeah and i moved a table there was a table outside on the deck moved it probably four feet so that our dog could sit next to us did you get yelled at yeah we got yelled at the guy uh yelled at us and said no this is unacceptable and then moved the table like 12 feet (laughs) the other way to make a point how do you think i tolerated that was there an edge to that deck yeah i would have threw the table off there was no edge, but we got up and left. He uh, came, he's like, well, what can I get you? And I'm like, ah, nothing. Got up and left. Not a damn thing. Yeah, and then you know what? That's what they get for serving organic beer, too, because every damn beer was organic. <laughs> you know, if they just drank non-organic beer, they'd be less edgy. Probably. Control freaks. So then we walked over to a brand-new brewery, at least new to me, called Three Magnets Brewing. And Three Magnets was How fantastic. Attractive. It's a horseshoe, wood yeah. thing, and their flight sit on this horseshoe. And as we're sitting on the deck with Gus, who had a Timbers leash on, I begin looking around, and I notice a Seattle Sounders flag and then a bunch of Seattle Sounders jerseys. 
and then a bunch of Seattle Sounders jerseys hanging inside with scarves, oh, and then boy. Seattle Sounders beer, and then Seattle Sounders cans of beer, and pictures of Seattle Sounders signed. You were in a shittle bar. It was in a shittle bar, but that shittle bar had some pretty good beer. Yeah. So looking from their deck straight down the alley, probably a quarter mile down the road, took a picture of it, was a sign that said, Timbers. <laughs> so take that shittle. How you like them apples? That's right. You can't get away from us. So, but uh, while we were there, I had a couple good beers. Uh, the Hackenschmidt Porter was very good. And the East Side Club Pale were uh, standouts for me. Uh, Hackenschmidt. Um, and had a decent flight there. I think they had a sweet something, like a sweet juice or sweet something. It was a juicy IPA type thing. Sure it was. But, yeah, there you go. Went to a Sounders bar. Nobody gave a shit either, so. Well, that's always a bonus. Yeah. So, uh, Flycaster Brewing hit that. Decided after we left the Queen Anne and the shit show of going two blocks in an hour, that Debbie's like, let's get out of Seattle and let's head towards back to the Anderson School where we're overnighting for a second night. And so we hit a nano brewery called Flycaster. And and that's where I had the opportunity to meet Sean Sweeney and Steve. I wonder if he's in relation to Sweeney Sweeney. Yeah, I don't think so. Sean's a uh, Boeing ex Boeing engineer. And uh, was working for Boeing, and as he describes it, uh, just really got tired of driving back and forth to Boeing. So he quit his job, his six-figure job, and is now a server at uh, a nano brewery called Flycaster Brewing in Kirkland. Awesome name! And for his a title: Chief Fermentation Officer. Oh, yeah, CFO. He's the CFO, That's Chief awesome. Fermentation Officer. Awesome. He says he doesn't make. Nearly quite as much money, but he's so much more happy in life. And you know what? He's about 10 minutes from work by bicycle. Well, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. The, the work-life balance is I think, amazing. Yeah. So we've talked about this many times. I think there's something to that. So there I don't is. think it's necessarily about the money. No. You certainly need enough money to sustain your lifestyle, but it's about work-life balance and happiness. Exactly. So. So, yeah, Flycaster Brewing. So the cool thing about that is, um, again, everything's sounder loving bastards up there. They uh, had a flight, tried their flight, and uh, they had something called a Bonefish Blonde. No Kolsch's brewed by these guys. And the Bonefish Blonde that they had was in there for a couple months. So it was a little bit old. He was a little bit embarrassed about uh, the way it tasted, but it was almost blown as far as the keg. So he took me back to meet the brewer, and because I deleted the uh, interview accidentally, um, I forget the brewer's name, but they actually pulled out of the fermentation vessel um, new uh, bonefish blonde for us. So we got to taste brand new from the fermenter bonefish blonde that was getting ready to be uh, put on tap, and then the old stuff there. And I'm going to tell you, the new stuff, fantastic. Huh. Yeah. And then uh, what else did we have there? They had uh, a couple other good, good beers there. But if you're in the Kirkland area, I would say definitely go check out Sean and his group. Uh, There was a fantastic guy that walked in named Steve. And then we met the owner as well. And uh, everybody was super, super friendly, except for Steve. Steve is a Sounders fan, also works at Boeing. He's uh, 40-ish like us, Scottish. And uh, 
and he's a poor excuse for a soccer fan because he no. likes the Sounders. And he, I think he likes Arsenal, too. I think he liked him, actually. I did. I uh, totally have respect for the guy. We actually got along very well. Debbie actually had to uh, break up the bromance between us and oh. dragged us out. Wow. But, uh, yeah, Steve's fault on Twitter. I think he's going to be listening in uh, to the podcast. So big shout-out to all you guys at Flycaster and Steve and Sean. So enjoyed the time, enjoyed the beer. Definitely go check out this brewery. Fantastic. So, And then uh, we went on their recommendation over to something called Chainline Brewing. Um, man, it was okay. The problem is we went to a cool place like Flycaster first. Yeah, and then went to some bicycle place called Chainline, and there everything's based on bicycles, of course. But uh, atmosphere wasn't too great. They had a couple beers there that were decent, so Polaris Pilsner was decent, rated at four out of five. And then the Zwickle beer, which is a Keller style beer, I rated a four out of five as well. Everything else was mediocre, um, and then just the atmosphere wasn't fantastic. So, um, and then. We uh, stopped at the mission on the way home back to Portland after the Anderson School. So the mission, but, yeah, and got our final stamp. Now waiting on you, Andrew and Tiffany. So. Watched the game for the mission, did you not? We did. We watched that Vancouver yeah. game. So it was good times. So all right, what are we drinking? We've well, been drinking, sipping this, and we got to switch beers. It's gone. So we're drinking Tetra Cities out of San Diego, California's their Modern Times beer. It's a dank. Tropical Double IPA. I want the listeners to pay attention to what Jason <laughs> just said. It's a dank, tropical double IPA. We always drink a damn IPA on the show. Well, and you're stepping it up. You just went double <laughs> on us. So it's a IBU of 80. Uh, quite a bit of alcohol in this bad boy. Citrus, Simcoe, Centennial, and Cascade Hops. Um, and I, there's a little bit of tropical taste in here, a little bit of pineapple type just, stuff. Yeah, just so, here. Yeah. So, um, what would you rank it? I would rank it a dank. It's dank, dude. I'd give it a three, five for what it is. It's drinkable. Yeah. Oh, I drank it. Yeah. You're gone. Yeah. So. It's gone. All right. Let's pause this thing, pour some more brews, and then we'll move on to the OBF. <laughs> Woo! Woo! All right. We're back. So, um, Getting ready to pour a couple beers. I brought a couple oldies that we uh, have left over from Seattle. The cheese is old and moldy. Old and moldy. So uh, we're going to try very first. We're going to split a little uh, bottle here from Ballast Point. It's called Barmy. <laughs> and I'm going to pour this out for you. Barmy, folks. We're going to try several beers very quickly here. I don't know about very quickly, but bar me. With the idea that this is our Brewfest uh, deal, where we tried a lot of beers very quickly. Oh, God. <laughs> is that a Seattle brewer? <laughs> no, this is that damn San Diego brewing, Ballast Point. They're horrid. And it's bar me. <laughs> it's a golden ale with apricot and honey. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's shit. <laughs> In a glass. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we'll slip this down. But so uh, it was your birthday, Wednesday, July twenty sixth. We went to the OBF Brewers brunch. It's my birthday. My it's present my birthday. to you. Yeah, it was a great present. Thank you. No worries, brother. 
So uh, don't drink that beer. <laughs> Hopworks was this year's sponsors. They did a, a special beer um, that they brewed, and then they host as the sponsors the party. And so at Eighth and Stark, Southeast Stark, the brunch took place. Live bands, tables, beer, some breakfast, all that good stuff. Now, now the interesting story on their special brew, folks, is it was actually named after the head brewer's daughter. And do you happen to remember what her name was? No. <laughs> I don't remember much from that. So, yeah, she uh, was up there with him on stage, which I think we've got part of that. Um, but every year a brewer brews a special beer in a cask, and then the cask is uh, broken open after the parade, and they tap it, and then everybody that's around gets a sample of that beer. So this year it was the same deal, and we got a special commemorative cask ale brew from Hopworks. So, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge Hopworks guy. I think that's the wife calling. I don't have a wife. Not a big uh, Hopworks guy, but, uh certainly was a, a very tasty beer always traditionally very very heavy right off the bat um so you go real heavy beer and then you start moving down the line trying a bunch of other beers so but that anyways one, that one was actually a really good beer yeah no it was so um yeah we had breakfast we listened to bands we had a couple pops uh at nine o'clock in the morning always a good time i always take a vacation day for that we met a few brewers, Steve from Hop House, uh, awesome dude, um, and from the sound of it, he makes some pretty awesome beers out in Gresham. Gresham, he's uh, got a nano brewery out there, so I think we need to go see him soon. And oh, I definitely. Um, I've looked him up, and the write-ups on his beer are, are fantastic as well. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's got a small shop and some great passion and some great brews, so... Um, and we even discussed him making a lime Kolsch because he's not made a Kolsch. And then he was going to call it the Tim Beers beer. So it would be pretty awesome if we had a beer named after that us. That would be amazing. So, kind of dig that. So we need to get out there and see our buddy Steve. We've got an interview with him. Uh, so let's listen to that interview with Steve. And then we'll finish up this nasty barmy beer from Ballast Point. All right, Tim Beers Live. It's Jason uh, live from the OBF brew breakfast so uh gary's here what are you thinking gary so far so good we're standing in line though and uh waiting on breakfast i have a feeling we're going to be eating breakfast about the time they decide to line up for for the parade but hey it is what it is so we uh jumped off of the max station at yam hill there walked across the bridge and then uh came inside stood in line and then poured a couple pops here so what are you drinking uh, we are drinking, it's a stout, but I forgot the name of the stout already. Survival, baby. I will survive. It's all about survival. It's got some good coffee tones to it, so good breakfast beer. So good. And then we met a uh, fine gentleman who's a fellow Timber, Timbers Army and uh, with the Hop House. So I'll let him introduce himself and tell us what he's drinking and then tell us about the Hop House. So, uh, Steve Wesley here with Hop House Brewing out in Gresham. I am drinking a Gear Up IPA, which seemed appropriate, along with a survival stout, as we are gearing up to survive. Good. So where's the Hop House located? And uh, Tell us about the shtick. What is the Hop House? Well, Hop House is a, a micro boutique craft brewery 
in Gresham, Oregon. Uh, small batch, one barrel system, looking to expand, actively seeking a location to uh, go bigger and better. But right now we're, we're doing pretty well for what we have. So on the podcast, we talk a lot about Kolsch's. I mean, we judge a brewery by how well they brew a Kolsch. Uh, do you have a Kolsch on or what is your claim to fame at Hop House? I do not have a Kolsch. I do have a, a, a Munich Helles and also a Doppelbach. Wow. which I have been told by several Germans they are top-notch. But uh, I think the uh, smoky rye and the coconut porter are probably the two uh, standouts, but they're all solid. So are these your recipes that you've done over the years? Are they other recipes that you jump on? Um, how do you come up with the recipes? 100% out of my head. Fantastic. Good, good, good. All right, man. Well, we still got a ways to go, and then uh, we'll get some breakfast and sit down and have another beer. So, But thanks for uh, the time. You so. betcha. Thank you. Gary, anything to add here, buddy? No, just drink more beer, enjoy <laughs> the time, enjoy the sunlight, get some vitamin D and some vitamin B. You know who's missing out of this, this thing that's always accompanied us? That would be Tim. And Tim? You're a loser. You're sitting in Hawaii right now, missing the brew fest. So, drinking crap Kona beer. So, um... We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Well, there you go. There's uh, Steve from Hop House. He's a pretty rad dude. Yeah, he's a nice guy. So, uh, interesting beers. Uh, we need to visit that out there. And, again, encourage the listeners to check him out. He was actually quite the popular dude when he walked around the beer fest with us. We oh, reconnected. Yeah. yeah. Lots of people asking questions. And, and go online to the, the Hop House uh, website. It, it shows all the different varieties of beer that uh, he does brew. So and, and he's got quite a good varietal. Yeah. So we got breakfast, listened to music, had a couple more beers, uh, met up with our buddy Andrew. And as we were standing there with Steve and Andrew, um, I was eyeballing Art Lawrence eyeballing him folks and uh for those that don't know art he's a legend in the portland beer scene and then certainly regionally and nationally is a legend as well i've had the opportunity the last two brew fest part of this one to sit and have breakfast with him at the brewer's brunch and uh, the guy is unbelievable from a storytelling perspective oh yeah definitely and um i believe you saw him for the first time last year yep. and uh he's just he's just amazing so, for those that don't know, he's co-founder of the Portland Brewing, of Portland Brewing, and then founder of the OBF. And then uh, he had his hands deep into the Oregon Brew Pub law back in the '70s and '80s, which essentially uh, allowed uh, brew pubs to serve their beer. And so, this guy is legendary, allowing uh, and being again active to change brewing so that people can homebrew so that people can open up breweries and then also serve their beer, which didn't exist back prior to the 1980s. So, and then more recently, I mean kind of recently, he opened up Cascade Brewing, who focuses on sours and specifically blending sours, something they call Northwest Sours. Um, And then Raccoon Lodge is affiliated with that as well, which my first experience with Raccoon Lodge was their amazing french fries, tons of different potatoes, with lots of seasonings and dipping sauces, but their beers are fantastic. Specifically, their white stout is unbelievable. Um, but we sat with this legend, again, for the last two years at the OBF brunches, and I heard many stories. So I sought him out at this brew fest and got some one-on-one time with Art, and so I hope you guys enjoy this interview. And we'll uh, crack another beer and 
rejoin you after the interview. All right, Tim Beer's live. This is Jason. And so uh, Gary's sitting here talking to Andrew, but we've got Art, the mastermind of the Oregon Brew Fest. And so last year, we were telling you guys earlier about a story of when the Brew Fest started to where it ended, like where it's at now, and the cost and how much the costs have just exploded. So we're with here, here with Art now, so it's better coming from his lips. So Art, so in the early days, what were the big costs as it related to the OBF? Well, the early days we paid five dollars for the permit to get the city permit, and this year it was over forty-five thousand to get the permit. First year it was uh, five dollars for the fire marshal's permit. This year it was one thousand two hundred and fifty. So yes, costs have gone up. So does that include the replanting and all the crap the city makes you do at that point where you get to go in and restore the park? No, no, that's in addition to, and we don't know what that's going to be. It's usually between six and. Six to seventy-five hundred, six thousand to seventy-five hundred dollars, depends on what they have to do to replant the park. So a little bit of green grass comes up, and then another event comes along a month later and scrubs it off. But yeah, the park kind of looks like the top of my head, as you see, Jason. There's not much hair on the top of it. So, so I'm truly fascinated. So the first year is how many beers? How many beers did you have? Because you had to really actually go out and ask people to participate within this thing and now people are beating down your door and you guys are actually able to set top end limits about look in order to participate you've got to bring this much beer at that point so where were you at the first year compared to how many breweries are represented this year well 88 we had uh, 20 breweries and each brought two beers wow uh we we got we far exceeded our expectations we sold out on the beer um at that time that what there were only like six or seven breweries in Oregon at that time. Full sale had just come online. Um, I think the shoots, they weren't there at that year either. They came maybe in. Oh, of course, yeah. Bridgeport, Portland, Widmer. Right. They were all. What did Portland bring? Was it the old Saxon Ale, that old lemon? No, we brought uh, our, our Grant Scotty Shale the yeah, first year in 88. And Burt Grant was here with us at that time. Oh, really? Because, see, we had the license to make Burt Grant's beer in Oregon at Portland Brewing. Did you brew in the copper that he's known for? We had a copper kettle. Did you have a copper oh, kettle? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And then so this year, totally changed. A lot more breweries represented this year, but they all bring one beer, right? They, oh, yeah, they bring one beer. We've been one beer for a number of years. This year, we usually try to stick to 80 breweries, but we couldn't say no this year. We ended up with 91. We have too many, there's too much good beer, too many good friends. People like Bob Pike right back there. Bob. People like that to come to this event every year. Bob has been here for 29 years. He missed the, one less than you. He missed the first brew festival. Never going to catch him. Teddy and I met Bob, Bob Pike, and he came in from Atlanta. Wow. And uh, he's come to every festival since. And we see him. At, he just doesn't come to this festival. How many festivals do you go to, Bob? I many, haven't many. counted. <laughs> I see it on Facebook. He's, he's well known. Excellent. Wow. So one beer that we should be looking forward to this year, Bob or Art? What do wow. I gotta try? Well, I'm gonna tell you about ours for yeah, Cascade Brewing. For sure. That's what I was gonna say. It's uh, we have a raspberry wheat that we make each year. Last year we made our raspberry wheat, and it was still a little cloudy, and it usually clarifies itself real nice. So we decided to go age it for a year in wood barrels and infect it with our lactobacillus bacteria, uh -huh. and that's what we have done. And it's a great sour beer. I had some a couple months ago over at our our barrel house, and I loved it. And um, 
And when the event's over, some at the evening when they turn the taps off, I think I'll go try one. Wow. Um, again, see if I still rings my bell on it. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thanks for the time, you guys. I appreciate it. So, Art, it's always good. So, I'm glad to see you again this year. And, uh, Bob, nice to meet you. Okay. Yeah, take care. All right. Jason. All right, that was the world-famous Art Lawrence. Art, again, massive, massive legend on the beer scene, massive hero of mine. Um, and, again, I'm, we were very blessed to have that interview, and he was very gracious with it. So, And if you ever get a chance to talk to the guy uh, at an Oregon Brewers Fest or any other venue he may be attending, definitely take that opportunity to do it because the stories this guy can tell are amazing about the the whole brewing industry yeah i mean much like the early days of the wine industry when you read about how all those original founders kind of came together the brucing was very much the same way with uh again the ponzi's and art and his group and uh, again all of those guys coming together to help change brewing and all the breweries that are here today uh, including mcminimins and uh, anything else that's new that's popping up owes something to Art Lawrence and the Dick Ponzi's and everybody else like that. So definitely. Um, and then from there, we uh, standing in line met some dudes that were wearing unicorn shirts with pink, fluffy unicorn shirts. Yeah, yeah. And so those guys were from uh, Ghost Runners Brewing up in Vancouver, and specifically they were showing off their. Chasing Fluffy Pink Unicorns beer. Um, nice guys from Vancouver. The brewer was super helpful, offered a lot of uh, good information, and the owner was there too. Um, but enjoyed talking to those guys. Here is an uh, interview with them. But first, what are you drinking, Gary? Um, another ballast point, um, and I want to just sidestep back to that ballast point <laughs> barmy crap. Uh, don't ever bottle that again. <laughs> Ballast Point. Um, it's shit beer. It belongs at the bottom of the ocean. You should never brew it again, at least in bottles, ever. Mental and barmy. Horrible. Yeah, now, now, dude, now they're... It's right up your wheelhouse. It's a golden ale with apricot and honey. I'm telling you, it's shit. <laughs> Picture's great. That's the only thing good about the whole beer. Yeah. Picture on the label. That's it. So now we're drinking Bonito, a blonde ale. And I'll give them an A-plus on that one after the <laughs> shit that I drank before. Um, I think that's the deal, dude. I think they have comparing things on purpose. They must. <laughs> but believe me, folks, if you go from Barmy to Benito, you'll think it's the best fucking beer on the planet. <laughs> All right, guys from Ghost Runner. All right, Tim Beer's live. We're still on the food line like a half hour later, so... I'm drinking some NASA coffee. Uh, Gary's out of beer currently. But we ran into some more uh, cool dudes uh, that are wearing chasing fluffy pink unicorn shirts. They own a brewery up in Vancouver. Um, so we thought we'd uh, kind of interview them and kind of see what they're doing. So they brewed a red Kolsch, which we're interested in by accident. So, uh, Gary, what do you got? What do you got to say? These guys sell their beer to Seattle. <laughs> Yeah, of yeah, of course. They drink beer, so it's a marketing a thing, right? People that drink in Seattle. <laughs> All right, so I'll let you guys introduce yourself, what brewery you're from, tell us about your brewery and what you guys are opening up. So, awesome. so I'm Jeff Seibel. I'm the founder and, and owner of Ghost Runners Brewery. Uh, we have a 10-barrel brewing production facility in Vancouver, Washington, opening up a brew pub, a 5,000-square-foot brewery brew pub in spring of 18 on the new Vancouver waterfront. 
Uh, my brewer, Brian, here is our award-winning brewer. Hey, I'm Brian. I like making beer. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's an amazing brewer and uh, a redhead. So, and, and on that, any indication about how amazing brewing technology is, we selected the right one. So we are interested in Kolsch's, and so that redheaded thing's a perfect segue into Red Kolsch. Talk to me about the Red Kolsch. Uh, Red Kolsch, uh, as a lot of breweries that you may or may not know, beers come up as happy accidents. We were brewing a, uh, a double American red, and someone, not Brian, but prior to Brian, I think it might have been me, uh, accidentally set the wrong fermentation temperature too cold. And so we uh, fermented uh, at lager temperatures and an ale yeast, and voila, we had cross country, which was our red Kolsch last year. So it turned into a nice ginger beer, beautiful, great. So, so Brian, what, what is your claim to fame? What types of beer do you specialize in as like the brewmaster? Oh, I'm a German boy at heart, so I like them Pilsners, I like them Gozas, awesome. and nice, nice traditional styles. This uh, book calls us contemporary on this new Goza, which it is, but uh, based on contemporary, but we're also. using unmodified weeds. We're, we're trying to stay as true to style as we possibly can. So you guys are featured at the Brewfest this year. So what are the beers that you brought, or what is the beer that you brought? So Chasing Fluffy Pink Unicorns is a raspberry Goza brewed with hibiscus, three different kinds of peppercorn, pink, black, and white, four different kinds of lactobacillus with three pounds per ten barrels of hibiscus. Give it a nice pink hue, a light tart, sour, Lots of great sea salt. Um, check check it out. Come to OBF. For sure. So we uh, we know Artie pretty well. We've sat with him at the breakfast the last couple of years. And he talks about, like, the ever-creasing requirements of brewers as they bring beers. How much beer did you have to bring to the brew fest? So this is one of the most spectacular types of beer fest. Normally it's three, four kegs. OBF says, I would like... 18 to 20 kegs. <laughs> That's amazing. Absolutely crazy. So, all right, guys. Well, cheers. Thanks. And we're almost here for breakfast. So, take care. We'll see you around, okay? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Those are the uh, fine gentlemen from Ghost Runners Brewing in Vancouver. And uh, talking a little bit about their Chasing Fluffy Pink Unicorns. Um, we sampled that at the Brew Fest. I think I gave it a 325. Um, wasn't overly amazing. Um, but I'm not a big sour guy, so. Um. And I think when you've got that many different strains of of bacteria in there, you're kind of playing with fire. Yeah, I mean, and they found their niche and then what they want to do, and it certainly was a drinkable beer for how warm it was down there. So, but you know what I'd be interested in trying? A Kolsch. The red Kolsch. Oh, and definitely. And they stumbled into it, which is fantastic. That's amazing. So yeah, would um, love to taste that beer. We'll have to keep an eye on their website and see when they have that on, and make a visit down there. So, but yeah, thanks guys for the great interview. That was uh, fantastic and very nice to meet you there in line. So, um, and shortly after that, we ate, and then the parade started. No, no, and so no, the parade no. started at eleven thirty, eleven forty-five. Next to your girlfriend Sharon, and then no, um, no, we that's marched. Your girlfriend. <laughs> So, Negative. shout out to Sharon if you're out there. Um, and so we did a short interview. I don't know if you remember that uh, during the parade. Well, absolutely. How could I forget? Well, we'll pull out another beer. That's insanity. Live from the OBF. <laughs> I'm Jason. Not just from the OBF, but from the OBF parade while marching down the road. That's uh, my buddy Gary. So, uh, Tim Beer's Live podcast. So, you can hear the band in the background. We're mid parade behind the uh, petty carts. So, doing it right. So, a couple beers today. 
So yeah. I enjoyed a survival stout. Did the uh, blonde by organic blonde by Hopworks? What'd you have? Um, I had their extremely citrus IPA, which after you got into it, after the initial punch in the face, you could really taste a lot of the citrus. It was kind of nice, but in the end, it was an IPA, which is super hoppy. Yeah, super, super hoppy. So it looks like we're going down Madison, going to go up over the Hawthorne Bridge here. So uh, pretty crazy scene behind us with the jazz band. So pretty eventful morning. Two breweries sat in, uh, as you guys are going to hear a little bit on this podcast, sat with Art, talked about the early days of the brew fest with Art and kind of where they're at now. Um, so yeah, pretty exciting day. So pretty successful. We also talked to Nichols. So anything, yeah. what was Nichols doing there, Gary? Well, I can't tell the, the listeners, but it's special time away from the family when you first wake up in the morning. Rubbin, rubbin, rubbin. Rubbin's racing, baby. Yeah, and it wasn't rubbing the wrong way, apparently. <laughs> so, all right, buddy. So uh, we'll get more here later, and uh, let's finish this parade out. <laughs> Nichols. <sighs> Nichols rubbing his racing. Rubbing the wrong way. <laughs> uh, Poor Nichols. There you go. Well, so shortly thereafter, we ran into a nice guy. Uh, his name is Mark Martin from Northwest Brew Advisories. Looked over to my left, and uh, there was Mark marching next to us. And uh, I think Andrew and Steve from Hop House was oh, next to us. they were so far back. I think they were right behind us at that point. Not at that point. Really? No, oh, God, they were good 20 30 hertz back still when we did that interview yeah the spacing uh of the parade was kind of interesting so pardon me um so i'm getting ready to pour a beer i've had before but that you brought over yeah and it's a fascinating story first time for me and then we'll jump into this interview with mark but zoigel house uh it's a zoigel kolsch is a brewery that opened up in portland and the story with zoigel house is that it is a community brewery so anybody can go and brew and then if the beer is good enough they obviously bottle it make it available to the public really but it's a community brew style and which was famous in germany in the villages that people would walk up and brew in these houses and then serve their beers to the community at large now i know where to take my beers yeah it's a pretty radical place that's a night great idea so in this case we have nece- we don't necessarily know who the actual brewer was um outside of that their beer was bottled and it's a kolsch and i gotta tell you this kolsch is actually very very clean crisp and good so notice what it says on the label though kolsch style ale kolsch style ale so what is the story behind that which is appropriate with a kolsch that is brewed Outside of Cologne, yeah. Germany. That's right. Cologne, you cannot brew a Kolsch outside of Cologne, even though others do it. They just call it Kolsch Rogue. You guys do that all the time. Bad, bad rogue. It's a Kolsch-style ale outside of Cologne. Correct. So. You, you can only call it a Kolsch if it's brewed in Cologne, Germany. So the rebel in me says F off because it like tequila. You can only brew tequila or make tequila within Mexico in that district. <clears throat> but if I make tequila outside and it still tastes like tequila and it's really good tequila, it's I've tequila. Got to call it. <laughs> it's still tequila, but regardless of what you want me to call it. So whatever. All right. Here's Mark from, uh, again, Northwest Brewing Advisories. 
Even though I'm based here in Portland, the majority of the work I do is everywhere else. All right, Tim Beer's live. Yeah. We're with Mark from uh, Northwest Brewery Advisors. Yep. And so uh, Gary's sitting here to my right. We're in the middle of the parade. So what exactly do you guys do? Oh, advise breweries. Advise breweries. <laughs> Bonus. So, so you said you've got a bunch of clients spread throughout the nation. So you do a lot of time traveling, advising yeah. small startups. Is I that traditionally? Actually, I actually just got back from Charlotte, North Carolina, setting up a, a female-owned brewery down there called Bold Missy. Oh, wow. wow. That's, uh, that's fantastic. So what are they going to specialize in? What type of beer? Well, we did the first three batches down there already, and uh, pretty much uh, standard lineup, IPA, pale ale, brown ale, American brown, that kind of thing. Fantastic. But, Good. But uh, what I was going to tell you about what I do, yeah. it, the, the company is just me. Uh, that's probably why I'm so busy. Yeah. And I don't charge a whole lot because I don't need to make much money anymore. I just do it more for fun. But it's everything from building selection to floor plan layout, equipment procurement, to hiring brewer, training brewer, recipe development, all of that. Fantastic. So how'd you get into the business? So we, we're home brewers. I've been brewing for almost 20 years now. God. Uh, talking about a pub for a period of time. So were you brewing for somebody big time or how'd you get involved? Well, I started home brewing in 1984 when I moved out here from Iowa okay. and discovered that uh, beer could actually have flavor. <laughs> so I was sitting uh, in Bridgeport one day and sitting beside a guy with a white mustache and a white beard. He said, you know, you can make beer like this at home. I said, no way. <laughs> and come to find out, a year later, I discovered that was Fred Eckhart I was sitting by. Woo! The and, legend. Yes. Yeah. So I started home hey. brewing, and uh, then in the mid-90s, I went through UC Davis Pro Brewer School. And I had a small contract brewery of my own called Old Dog New Trick Brewing. Wow. But uh, I was also one of the founders over here at what used to be the Green Dragon. I know the Green Dragon quite well, yeah. Yeah, we miss it. Yeah, Absolutely. So, fantastic. That's great. So, big clients that you're uh, consulting for now. You talked about the one on the East Coast in Charlotte. So, anybody local that you're doing a startup with? Uh, the closest is I'm working with Charlie Goleman on uh, the takeover and reopening of BTU Brasserie. Okay, cool. But otherwise, I've got uh, Chico, California coming up. There's wow. A, there's only one other brewery there. And, well, that's no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> That's easy, easy money for somebody to make some money in a market like that, right? Oh, yeah. So, 15-barrel system will kill them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Mark, I appreciate your time, man. So, yeah, Tim Beers Podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, that was Mark Martin and uh, Northwest Brewer Advisories. Thank you for your time, Mark. So, interesting dude. Interesting uh, in that he's not necessarily a brewer per se, even though he is. Um, but he's setting up and helping make brewers successful, and especially outside of the Portland metropolitan area, like these areas that don't have brew pubs. So right. So and then you brought up an interesting thing. Um, it sounds like he doesn't uh, need a ton of money. So I wonder what the cost of something like that is. See, and that's what's the interesting thing. When you've got somebody that says they don't really need the money, you heard him say that in the interview, but they're still doing it. Obviously, he does it because he's passionate about it, but it really begs that question, what's he charging? I would love to see what he's charging. Yeah, interesting. So, and totally a different world than what we've ever interviewed or talked about. But Yeah, it comes at it from a a totally different venue of, of this is what you need to be to be a successful brewery. Well, and huge names that he's helped kick off. I mean, that's that's massive. It's amazing. 
So again, thanks Mark Martin for uh, doing that for us. So, and then we got into uh, downtown and watched the uh, celebration, watched the mallet get handed over to um, the folks at Ninkasi and specifically Jamie from Hopworks. We listened to some great speeches. This year's Grand Marshals were uh, Hopworks was a sponsor and certainly uh, had the special cask and the Brewers brunch. But there's always a Grand Marshal. And as we were just talking about, Fred Eckhart was uh, a Grand Marshal in years past. Um, but Steinbart's this year was the Grand Marshal of, of the parade. And so they ride a pedicab. They get a special saber with a bunch of tokens and all this stuff on it. And they're pretty much treated like royalty throughout the festival. And for those that don't know Steinbart's, Steinbart's is uh, currently on Southeast 12th and Pine. And they are legendary as it relates to the homebrew um arena within the portland metro area and really um making the ingredients affordable yeah and so there's a lot of places like above the rest and um, abv out in hillsborough and places like that that are open now but all of those places owe um, some sort of uh, tribute to uh, steinbart's and the folks out there and so specifically um, these guys were honored and so I remember as a young boy, my grandfather, uh, Grandpa Clark, and uh, my dad, Dave, uh, homebrewing out of a garbage can, plastic garbage can with plexiglass on top. And they would have this nasty-smelling liquid and would dump, like, boiled with hops, and they would dump yeast in. And it turns out they were using bread yeast to make this beer. But I was exposed at a very young age to homebrewing and going to these homebrew shops and remember the beakers and the and the scientific type stuff that was uh, at Steinbart's. And at that time, it was um, over off of Grand Avenue. And But I would just stand there watching them going, God, do we have to be here forever? <laughs> and then later on, it was a useful skill. I mean, it's something I tried to pass off to Cameron because when you get into college age, not that we condone underage drinking. We don't. But um, but it's certainly a useful skill for a college kid to know how to homebrew. And so, uh, again, I went back to my experiences from Steinbart's and um, how to brew and made some wicked beer, not necessarily in garbage cans, but then you was in carboys. So I had the chance to sit again with John and Mike, who were the, uh, again, legends to me, legends on the brew scene and this year's Grand Marshals at the parade. Um, but to me, Steinbart's, if you were to visit Steinbart's, and you can go to whatever homebrew shop that you want, but Steinbart's is the original. And so back in the early days, um, and this place is 100 years old this year, 100 years. Passed down from generation to generation. Um, kind of, and so I went back and looked at their um, their timeline, and they've got a great timeline on their website, but it's really only had um, a couple different owners, and the guy that's been in play for the longest is uh, John, um, and then Mike's joined the team, and he's been been around forever, and they've made lots of twists and turns with what brewing's done, so most recently kombucha, but uh, they got into yeast strains. These guys were instrumental in installing the draft beer system for the Rose Garden. Oh, wow. So where the Trailblazers play. Yeah. So they've been involved in a lot of big stuff. But moreover, they've been involved 
Steinbart specifically, um, during Prohibition, they switched over to soda making and made soda for several years. Oh, and did that. sneaky. <laughs> That's how you stay in business. That's how you stay in business, baby. Evolve. And then they moved back to beer. And um, so, again, hats off to the guys at Steinbart's. I had the opportunity to sit with, again, two more local legends and uh, kind of tell that story of me walking into their shop when I was just wee tall. So enjoy this. So it's Jason live from the Tim Beer. So I'm here with the Grand Marshals of this year's parade. I don't think they need an introduction, but I'll let them introduce themselves. But to me, they're kind of epic icons. Um, when I used to, when I was growing up with my grandfather, I would brew beer with my grandfather. And I remember going as a young child to Steinbart's with my grandfather. So I want to talk a little bit about the honor that it is for you guys to be the Grand Marshals and what that means to you guys to be recognized as beer icons in the Portland area. Well, it's just been fun. Uh, you know, been around this this long. See, most we know a lot of these fellas. Yeah. They actually started as homebrewers. Some of them did. Uh, great to see the progress they've made. And, Absolutely. Isn't it huge? So from the early days where there were a bunch of people just brewing, home brewing out of garbage cans like I talked about with a piece of plexiglass or glass on top, to now all the technical equipment that's available that's in your stores now, um, what's, what do you think the biggest advancement is in the brewing kind of the brewing scenes over the years? Well, for, for me, I was I was a home brewer started in 1978, buying my ingredients from Steinbart's. So I so I've seen the full circle. But probably the biggest in change had been was probably liquid yeast. Yeah. Liquid yeast took beer from generic to specialty beers. Yeah. So I remember the yeast packets my grandpa would use, and we actually started using bread yeast yes. in the early days, right? Yes. And so that wicked bite in the beer afterwards, and now everything so technical you can change everything with the liquid yeast cultures that are there right the liquid yeast were cultures were available to the commercial breweries but then we had this great company in hood river called ye started yeah. and they started culturing those beers or the yeast i should say and that's what brought those yeast to us so we could sell them at our store and that's what helped move the beer into the, all the breweries into a better better area well, I got to say thank you guys. So you guys are icons to me. You guys are icons, obviously, to the to the city and to the brewer scene here. So thank you so much for what you guys have done, what you continue to do for the brewer scene. Thank you. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Take thank care, you. guys. Yeah. So pretty amazing stuff there. So huge, huge thanks to John and Mike. Um, and again, their marketing guy hit me up afterwards. So we'll make sure we reach out to you. Um, but again, well done. Thank you for doing what you guys have done to the Oregon brew scene. And then again, thanks for taking some time to talk to uh, a guy that, as a young kid, um, didn't necessarily know that one day I would look at you guys as icons. So, thank you. So, from there, um, we tried a lot of beer in a very rapid fashion. And we'll talk about a few of my favorites. And I think you probably have a couple that are sticking out in your head. Nope. (laughs) But uh, we ran into uh, this year's, next year's Grand Marshal, Jamie Floyd, and then we ran into him at the uh, Midway Tent, yes, which had all the specialty cask beers, limited edition beers. Yeah, um, always interesting because it's double the price or quadruple the price depending on what you're drinking. Um, but Jamie was very generous. So, uh, <laughs> do you want to say anything before we start the interview? Yeah, I was actually lucky enough to get an interview with Jamie. He. Um when we walked up to the tent, he had a crowd of people around him, was was talking to a lot of people, 
and I just tapped him on the shoulder and asked him if he had a few minutes, and he was very gracious in giving us this interview. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. So here's Jamie. So this is Gary, live down at the Portland Brewfest, and I am with the head of Ninkasi Brewing. I'm gonna inter- he's, I'm gonna let him introduce himself. Jamie Floyd, the amazing Jamie. So Jamie, when when you look at it, when you got your start in brewing, when, and then how far you've come, what what is it that has taken you that full distance of what you've come so far? Um, well, it's a, couple, a combination of things. First of all, uh, um, before I started brewing professionally, I wanted to own my own business and thought that would be a part of my life and thought I would be a teacher as well, which all came to fruition. And, you know, like, I think um, that's, a, that's a big piece of it. Um, just really spent a lot of time thinking about what, it, what I wanted to do and waiting for the right time to do it. It's pretty... Um, you know, I look back at it. I've been here. This is my 25th Oregon Brewers Festival. Uh, Long time, folks. And uh, 11 years of it has been in Kasi, and we were a part. You know, our first year we were even a part of the blind tasting and a bunch of other awesome stuff. And so it's uh, it's a wonderful journey. I, I I don't know how to explain it other than that. It, like the Oregon Brewers Festival is a great moment in time every year in which I get to see friends, see success, see people enjoying themselves yes. in Portland at its best and really get to hang out in like the best of beer culture. Totally agree, Jamie. Totally agree. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like so best. now that you've, you've been part of this for so long, the one thing that I've got to ask to ask for you is now that the mallet has been handed to you right and i know brewers are not going to tell me what their next amazing brew is going to be especially for that but now that the gears have to start turning correct kind of what are you thinking as far as next year's fantastic breakout beer well i mean the, the the thing about it is it'll be a different beer than the beer that we have at the festival which is a part of the situation for sure which is awesome um but i mean more it's just what can we do to make portland love beer more for the parade that leads up to it i mean that's the where we're at with it you know exactly I mean? yes beer is a part of it yes we'll make a great beer we're gonna put it in the barrel it's gonna be super awesome but it's really like how do we Portland is our family, our home, you know, and how do we lift it up? Exactly. That's that's exactly what we're going to do. So, I mean, uh, Hub did an awesome job. I've been a part of so many of these barbecues over the years, and we're just super excited to get a chance to have our piece of it. And we're super excited to be the first brewery that's not in Portland to do it as well. And that's what I love to see. I love the diversity, seeing that branch out start to happen. So the question I've got, the last question I've got for you, is from those humble beginnings 25 years ago when it wasn't that much as far as a capacity standpoint, how do you guys meet the capacity of today's demand? I mean, it's insane what you guys have to meet just to get into this thing. Well, absolutely. I mean, for us, we've developed... um, you know, an ability to make beer at the level that we do. So we make 100,000 barrels of beer a beer. Um, you know, for this festival, there's probably 30 barrels 
a beer that's specifically for this festival. Um, yeah, that's like an entire run, is it not? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. We make a beer specifically, you know, this year we collaborated with our friends in New Zealand and made a beer that we made in New Zealand here for the festival, and it's super fun. Um, so we had the opportunity to mix it up and, and do cool stuff. Next year it'll be super fun. We'll have yeah. a lot more on our plate. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. Jamie, thank you for your time. I'll let you get back to enjoying the Brewfest, and uh, great, so great talking with you. It's great talking to you. Crazy, crazy interview on like many levels, my friend. Well done. Well, thank you. So, for those that don't know, Gary uh, doesn't necessarily like to go out and proactively do interviews. So, Jamie was standing there, and it's just not in his wheelhouse. And it's certainly not my wheelhouse necessarily, but it comes a bit easier. Nichols walks up to Mud and then manages to interview it. So, yeah, it's I'm a, in his I'm a man of very few words. Um, but well, well, well done interview. Thank you. So, and those guys, Total Domination, Tricera Hops, Dawn of the Red, Vanilla Otis, Slayer, Maiden in the Shade, Double Latte, Hop Cooler, Believer, Spring Rain, Noir, Ground Control, and the list goes just on. Um, Ninkasi are legendary. Um, and our buddy Scott, who doesn't like Kolsch. <laughs> Um, loves Ninkasi and what they've got going. So, so that that interview is dedicated to you, Scotty. Well, there you go. But you know, I mean, that was a good good interview, and Jamie again is legendary. So, well, and I I've got to thank Jamie. You know, shout out if he ever even remotely listens to this podcast for giving this that time. It it he didn't act. Like it was an inconvenience in any way, shape, or form. He was very gracious in giving that interview. So we got uh, two more small interviews here. Um, and so we've got a review of your favorite beer, the Dragon's Milk Thai Curry. <laughs> so let's listen to that. All right, Tim Beer's live. We're uh, standing in front of New Holland Brewing's Dragon's Milk Thai Curry. And we've got one poor soul that's drinking it. Tell us what you think about this beer. It's very good. It reminds me of uh, that Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones type stuff. You know, it's got a little Thai basil, a little curry. Yeah. Oh, it's like yeah. Well, I started to show the show earlier. It's like it's um, it's a the, the, the dragon show with all the porn, right? I mean, that's like Game of Thrones. <laughs> so, so it's porn, Game of Thrones, dragon milk, Thai curry. So it sounds like to me everything you could throw into a beer to possibly fuck it up bad, and that's what we've got. So, but you, yeah, for a dollar you can try it. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. So, what's your name for the podcast? <laughs> Jim Stevenson. There you go. Jim Stevenson loves loves the milk from the dragon's teat. So there you go. Bullshit. His name's not Jim Stevenson. That's a porn name. I don't know why I didn't catch that on the front side. Did you? How did you not catch that on the front side? Oh, we were God. all giggling about it. Jesus, Jim as he was Stevenson. drinking that shit beer. Yeah, well, there you go. Dragon's milk from the teat. Don't drink it. So, folks. so that was the uh, craziest beer that was there. Probably not the craziest. So, our buddy Josh uh, went the next day and tried. He actually emailed me because of his comments about. The presidency and all this stuff. Rude. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Josh was like, hey, buddy, I hope you're not mad at me, but um, what should I be drinking here? So I'm like, dude, did not, you give it, did not you give mad him at you. Did you give him a list of all the bad beers? 
<laughs> kind of. That would have been so weird revenge. But I believe my text was something along the lines of this. You should try yoga pants first. <laughs> wow. That was the chamomile beer. Yeah, that was horrid. <laughs> And I'm like, and from there, I would go to Collaborators, Kentucky, Kolsch, <laughs> and some of those. So, <laughs> but I had him start. So he texts me, and he's like, "Really, yoga pants?" I'm like, "Try me, try me. You like it, dude? It'll, Damn. it's good." Uh, It'd be so, interesting to see what his uh, thoughts were on the beer, though. Yeah, I'll call him. He still pisses me off with his comments. So. <laughs> All right, so I got some highlights that kind of stuck out. Uh, we'll run through them real quick because we're way long. I told but, you it was going to be be packed, chock full, folks. Yep, and we got one more interview. So, um, but so my highlights, and uh, some of this will stick out in your head, and I'm sure others will come back up. But uh, the Negro Pelicano by Pelican, I gave three point seven five out of five. It's a dark lager for those that have had it. They've got, uh, and I believe I had one tonight, their cream ale, pre-prohibition cream ale. This is a dark version using a dark malt of that. What's that a play on words? Black Pelican? Yeah, Black Pelican. Hey, good call. I'm not so slow. It was actually a very, very good beer. Um, Hashtag America um, by Surly Brewing was fantastic. Um, And I don't know why, other than by that point, I needed something light. And that one was very much like a uh, kind of a prototypical, especially a decent Budweiser, decent, I mean, and I know I use that word loosely decent, but hot it was day. very light. It was very good, a good quality lager, American lager. Good hot day beer. Yep, absolutely. Kentucky Kolsch by Widmere was uh, beautiful, 3.75 out of 5. Um, certainly enjoyed it. So there was a bourbon barrel essence to the Kolsch. Um, I'm not sure that you could actually call it a Kolsch. It would be a Kolsch style, especially with the bourbon. Ring-a-ding-ding. But I kind of dig it. Um, Espacio Mexican Lager with Lime Zest by Ecliptic. Hats off to you fellas. I went 4.5 out of 5. To me, that was one of the best of shows. Um, But this one, flat out, was best of show for me. The Lemon Lager by Fearless Brewing. A throwback to Saxer's. Uh, lemon lager <clears throat> and so I referenced that in the interview with uh, I believe I called it Saxon but Saxer lemon lager um, for those that don't know um, Saxer lemon lager was truly groundbreaking back in the 80s and 90s and that beer was epic fearless you did a fantastic job with that throwback to the Saxer and it was very good so tequila lime lager by Rusty Truck got four out of five. Um, it wasn't too heavy, but you could certainly taste the tequila in it. Um, bad, folks, and I bad. love tequila. And then finally, Honcho Kolsch, a four point two five out of five uh, by Coalition Brewing. I certainly, obviously, have a theme to my favorites uh, being Kolsch's light blondes and lagers. Um, but again, best of show for me, flat out, and I probably had 20 beers plus that I sampled there. The Lemon Lager by Fearless Brewing, that throwback, phenomenal, guys. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So uh, anything stick out to you, my friend? I don't remember anything. <laughs> well, that's a perfect segue for the interview. So let's, of course. Uh, we went and played soccer afterwards, so we rode the train back. You were the loudest guy on the train. I was M when I drank. <laughs> and um, we got back, took a small napper, 
I believe you went to work. Yeah, I went to work. I was probably you didn't really work. No, I did. It was a bad <laughs> idea, though. From what I hear from your girlfriend, you didn't work. Yeah, I got news for her. I worked my ass off. So, and then uh, I went to soccer um, after about three liters of water. And then you showed up to soccer a little bit after me. Yeah, I was working. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know what you were working. Were you like nickels? But you're doing an afternoon workout. No, no, no. I was really working. <laughs> yeah. So wonderful game. I had a hat trick, my friend. I don't want to hear it. The general consensus was that uh, I should drink more while I play. That's what I've heard. And um, and then I played goalie, and I played a hellacious. Uh, I was a stopper, a stopper extreme. Stopper. So, all right. Well, let's listen to our final interview, and then we'll close this bad boy up. Done. Beer. Beer. All right, buddy. We're going to wrap this bad boy up. What'd you think tonight, today? Happy birthday, brother. I probably shouldn't have drank so much and then tried to play soccer. Probably a bad idea. Yeah, I cramped big time. So, But I actually felt pretty good. I hydrated pretty well. Drank uh, both liters of water So oh, in my backpack. So, so I'm now getting chewed up by these mosquitoes. Yeah, so. they're huge. Yeah, so. Like small bombers. What do you say we load it up and get the hell out load of here? Load it up, get out, boom, All right, later. done. All right. Nice, short, sweet, like this should be, baby. Anything for the good of the order? I didn't know the order was good. The order's terrible. And for the record, <laughs> it was cramping, not crapping myself. Are you sure? I'm pretty positive. That's just the way it goes. So, uh, Tim Beers. Tim Beers.